to talk a little bit today about France being on fire over the past month and Donald Trump and the wheel of chief of staffs, among other topics. So, ladies and gentlemen, get ready. And do you hear what I hear? Because this is Fretcast. Welcome, everybody, again to another edition of the Fritzcast. It's Tuesday, December 11th, 2018. And how are you all doing today? It has been cold and blustery for the past couple days here in Delaware. Uh, No snow, though. I believe that it is an absolute mortal sin for Mother Nature to allow it to be cold, as cold as it is. And to not have snow. When it gets cold out, this is what I expect to this is what I expect to happen. Here he comes now, the big hand. Yeah, that. I expect Snow Miser to be out in full force. I expect there to be snow. And if there's not snow, then at least go to a more mild form of cold. You know, just something above the whole freezy, like my car door might be frosted shut, that type of thing. Just give me something like that's just a tad above that. You know, that I put on my winter coat or I put on a hoodie and I'm fine. You know, not when it's so bitter cold out there that I have to go start my car 10 minutes early, which if you ask if you ask the experts, they say that that's bad for your car. It's bad to turn on your car and let it warm up and idle. But then the, there's also things that I've read that say that if you just jump in your car, turn it on and go, that's also dangerous for your car. So, it's it's that's the that's the ever evolving circle of scientific experts, I think, just screwing with our heads. That's what I believe that is. Because it's the same thing. You pick up the paper one day. Coffee's extremely healthy for you, full of antioxidants. A cup a day is great. And then you get another study. Americans drink too much coffee and need a cup back because these are the negative health effects of drinking coffee every day. Uh, Pick one. Pick one and stick with it. Don't tell me that eating eggs are bad. And that egg whites are good. Oh, wait, no, they're not. Oh, wait, no, you need the carbs and the eggs or, you know, whatever. Whatever you're going to say. I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't pay attention to that. You know why? Because sometimes you wake up in the morning and you want to make a cheese omelet. You just want to throw a frying pan, you know, on the stove and make a cheese omelet. Because they're delicious. Maybe you want to put some uh, breakfast sausage in that thing. I don't know. But don't tell me it's wrong for me. Like, the CDC came out. And I guess it's because it's Christmas time. Or the holidays. However you want to coin this time of year. The CDC comes out advising that eating raw cookie dough is dangerous and not healthy. Well, I mean, it's probably not healthy. That, that much is probably true. Neither is eating a bag of Doritos or Takis or any other bag of chips or having chips and dip. You know, it's not healthy. 
But they actually, you know, the CDC warned that eating raw cookie dough is uh, is dangerous. That's dangerous. You could get salmonella and die. Listen, I've been doing this for a long time. When I was a kid, my mom would make chocolate chip cookies. What would she do? She would have that little hand mixer, right? The little, uh, you know, the little hand mixer to mix up all the different ingredients. What would she do? She would pull one of those metal spoons off the hand mixer. She would hand it to me. She would say, here, you can lick that. You know, here, take that. You can lick that clean. And then throw it in the sink when you're done. And did I die? No. Was I morbidly obese as a child? Yes. But that's that's beside <laughs> that's it's something different. I had a variety of eating disorders when I was a child that was not addressed until I uh came to terms in life that uh, you know, it could uh I could kill myself. So that that's what brought that up but my mom used to do that all the time she used to make chocolate chip cookies with eggs cracking eggs in there and mixing it up and yeah you could eat the raw cookie dough i i ate raw cookie dough all the live long day as a kid and here i am almost turning 30 as an adult and guess what every time i go to the doctor they look at me they say eh doesn't appear anything's wrong you don't feel like anything's wrong guess what that means you're good who knew who knew that life was that easy. I I don't believe it's that easy. I believe I'm very blessed to be in the shape that I'm in, even though I want to get in better shape. And uh, and I mean both physically and mentally, by the way. Uh, mentally might be, you know, too long gone now uh, because life is crazy. But that is what it is. But yeah, the CDC coming out like, don't tell me I can't eat raw cookie dough. Shut up. Shut up. People make it at home. People buy buy my sister and brother-in-law. Classic for this. Have, you know, they'll, they'll come over from, they live in Chicago. All right. Yeah, we do have political differences. I will say that. We don't see eye to eye politically very much, but we'll forget that. Uh, But they will have game nights, board game nights, you know, whatever. And a classic that they always do is they buy, like, a a roll of the Pillsbury pre-made cookie dough. And what do you do? You can just slice that shit up and eat it. You don't even have to bake it. And it's delicious. Like I said, it's probably not healthy for you. And if you eat too much, it might expand in your stomach and give you stomachache. I suppose if you ate one whole roll by yourself, you might kill yourself. But... Who's to stop you? Who's the CDC think they are to tell you that you can't do it or that you shouldn't do it? Buzz off. So other than the cold, not much has been going on. Uh, like, I'm, I'm looking forward to the end of this week. Uh, I think Wednesday, Wednesday night I should be having a little session with my tattoo artist about uh, the next phase of that, so... I can't dive into details on that because part of that is is sitting down and drawing. So uh, that'll be that that'll be something fun to do, uh, and I get to do that Wednesday night because Wednesday day I have to go to a specialized training at work, which I am just without going into details. I am just ecstatic for it. Nothing makes me happier than when I get volunteered for certain trainings. Did my did did my enthusiasm seep through to your earbuds? Hopefully, hopefully it did. <laughs> but 
Friday. Uh, this is this seems to be a new craze going on, and maybe I'm just joining the craze for for what it's worth. But uh, the the TV stands that have fake fireplaces that seems to be a big thing. At least, at least maybe it seems that way because I told some people I've been telling some people, you know, oh yeah, I, I'm I just bought one of those TV stands that has you know a fireplace. Uh, you know, one of the fake electric fireplaces in there. That's also, you know, a, a, a heater. And so many people that I told were like, oh, yeah, I just bought one, like, six months ago. Or whatever. And I, I don't, I, like, these these seem to be a popular thing. I wasn't sold on them when I first heard about them. But, like, my wife's aunt has one, and we were there the other day. And I'm sitting in front of the thing. I'm like, that. I'm like, first off, that TV stand is nice looking, number one. Number two, it does look like it has an ample amount of storage space. And number three, you know what? The fact that it's a heater and a faux fireplace that, that can give that illusion of a fireplace, that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. And then what happens? You go to your furniture shop, and yeah, you walk out, and you got a new one. So it's getting... It's getting delivered on Friday. I'm excited for that, uh, just because it's a it's a change of scenery for the living room, which it, I mean is great. And I know what you're thinking: Aren't you gonna have to move it somewhere when you work on your floor? Shut up. Let's not talk about my floor. How about that? How about you just mind your business, and uh, and we'll go from there. You know. So yeah, mind your business. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to stuff like that. This was my first, like, official week back to work. Because last week I only worked, like, two days out of the week. So, that, this being the full back-to-work week with my normal overtime schedule overload and all that crap has just, you know, uh, uh, made me feel like poop. And that happens. You know, it is, it, you know, uh, you get through it, though. It's It's already Tuesday. Which is my hump day. Hump day! Just got to get through tomorrow. And since tomorrow's a training anyway, that'll go by, like, that'll go, that'll breeze by pretty easy. And and then Thursday will, Thursday I'll be in my Friday mind. So, I mean, it is kind of crazy to think, like, today's the 11th. And I'm thinking about the Christmas shopping that I've got done. And the Christmas shopping that I have to get done. Like, fortunately for me and my wife, it's going to be a little bit easier this year because, like, one of the impulse things that we did instead of, like, you know, going ham and getting each other huge off-the-wall Christmas presents left and right, instead it was more like, uh, you know, this is the first year where we're approaching. Mind you, she's going back to school soon, and so she's going to be doing that and balancing work, and I'm going to be balancing work, and... Wishing I had other work. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I don't know what you want to say about me, but she's going to be balancing a lot. And but but I have another vacation week coming up, uh, January to February. And one of the things that we decided to do was like you know this this, this was the first year where we didn't have to during my vacation time like plot out and and go visit family elsewhere in the United States. Not saying that. Not saying that I hated those times, um, but like her grandparents lived out in Oklahoma and they're getting ready to actually move back here on the East Coast and not, not 20, 30 minutes away from, from our location, which 
made my wife one of the happiest people on the face of the planet, which I was thankful for. And uh, so that, I mean, that's taking out something that we used to plot out at least a week or two weeks of vacation to go to Oklahoma. And some people might be out there being like, well, what's in Oklahoma? Lots of oil rigs. Um, Christmas time there is cool because it's small towns everywhere. And, and it's just a different vibe when you're in a Christmas small town. And it was fun to go out there, too. Antique shops is really fun to rummage through antique shops out in the Midwest. Uh, I think they're incomparable to, to some of the stuff that they have versus just finding an antique shop near you. Uh, maybe that's just nostalgia of it. I don't know. But but since we could cycle that out, I was like, well, we can take a real vacation. And my wife has her heart set, has had her heart set on going to uh, the Harry Potter world at uh, Orlando, Florida, at Universal Studios. And so I, I like finally caved, and I was like, I was like, if you if you want to go a little smaller for Christmas, we could consider that like a Christmas blowout. Like, hello, 2019, let's go do this. And now probably everything else in life will happen on top of it it'll be fun to see what comes of that but i'm looking forward to going because i haven't been to universal studios in forever uh the last time i was in disney slash universal slash florida i was let's see i don't uh i i really don't recall i was in middle school i know i'm i know in middle school the Cab Calloway School of the Arts Middle School Band had a band competition that was in Orlando. And we went to Disney, we went to Universal. I remember going to all that, but that was literally back in the 2000s. It was, I want to say, you know what? It was like 2002. It was 2002 or 2003 because 9-11 had already happened. I had never been on a plane before. And to top it all off... I had just watched the movie Castaway maybe two weeks prior to that. And my mom's like, don't worry, getting on a plane is nothing. And I'm sitting here freaking out because airport security was like super t- Like People want to say the TSA is bad and stuff. From what I recall, like going to the airport, was people were still timid going to the airport. That kind of thing. And that was my first and last time on a plane. Uh, first time flying down to Florida. Last time flying back up from Florida. I don't do planes. I don't get on planes. I get in the car and I drive around the country. And I do that because it's not that expensive to drive around the country. Gas prices. Huh. I wonder if that's going to be a topic later in the episode with foreign countries and gas prices and rioting. I don't know. I don't know. But gas prices here are cheap. You can go, like, we, me and my wife would drive to Oklahoma when we were going to see her grandparents. We would literally, and it, by the way, it's like a 24-hour drive if you go straight through, which is what we did. No hotels, switch off, sleep when we need to, switch off driving, Maybe make two stops for food, but have mostly the food and snacks with us. And just bathroom stops and gassing up. And to do that, to drive from Delaware to Oklahoma and back, um, it's not that much money in fuel cost. It's really not if you're eliminating hotels and stuff. When we go to Florida next month, we're going to drive down. Because that's half the time 
that is going to Oklahoma. Driving down to Florida will be easy. 12 to 14 hour drive. Easiest thing when you've driven 24 hours to get to Oklahoma. Speaking of gas prices though. Ha 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 ha. France is on fire. If there's one thing that the French people are good for, it's a riot. It is a protest. Um, the French go through revolutions like America goes through foreign interventions, uh, as crazy as it sounds. Now, to set the stage, before I really go into this, uh, just just yesterday, I was looking um, at, uh, at gas prices around the world. And here in the U.S., we tend to be snobby, stuck-up folks. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Uh, because October 2018, the average price of gas was about $3 a gallon. And it has significantly dipped down below uh, $2.80, $2.60 into December. And here in Delaware, it's actually like $2.10. Maybe two fifteen at a higher at a at a more highbrow uh, uh, chain gas gasoline station. BJ's gas station is like two oh nine, Wawa is like two eleven. Uh, you know, so average that I'm finding in Delaware, two dollars and ten cents. Not anything to fret or complain about. I know in some cities it's higher than that. In other regions of this country, it's higher than that. Um notwithstanding the the prices in France uh in US dollar per US gallon is uh this mind boggles me uh on October 8th it was registering near an average $6.80 uh right now it is averaging uh these numbers go to the 3rd of December. The 3rd of December is averaging just under the 6.2 U.S. dollars. Uh, so it's hovering around there. Uh, are the French uh, having a revolution over over gas, period? Eh, it's, it's a little hairy to try to dive into exactly what's been going on over the last month in France, which really, it's not what has been going over... It's not what's been going on over the last month. It's what's been going on over the last couple of years in France. Talking about a nation that elected uh, Emmanuel Macron. Macron was elected in May 2017 in the second round of the voting uh, with 66.1% of the vote. Uh, And he's 39 years old, which actually marks him as the youngest president of France in history. Um, and now he's facing controversies up and down France with these yellow vests, what they're calling the yellow vest protesters. Now this is where it starts, you know, this is where people start losing track of what's going on. Because the yellow vest, this isn't some new thing that just sprung up uh, within the past month that has been starting riots and hooting and hollering, all right? I'm, ta- I'm taking this from, from uh, national... Public Radio, NPR, which, yeah, I know, just some people might not dig that source, but the, the information here is viable, okay? Uh, quote, 
Originally, the Yellow Vest protesters were people from rural, rural areas who had to drive long distances as part of their daily lives. They said they couldn't afford the hike in fuel prices. Protests appeared in pockets around France to denounce Macron's green tax and then quickly grew into a larger movement that includes members of the working and middle classes who are expressing their frustration about the slipping standards of living. They say their incomes are too high to qualify for social welfare benefits, but too low to make ends meet. The movement has no official leadership and was organized initially through social media groups. End quote. Now, uh, among the taxes that France is imposing, they have wealth taxes, fuel taxes, and... uh, other things which um you know some people are seeing him as the president of the rich there's actually people in paris who are looking at macron and thinking you know oh this is our donald trump the guy that's just heralding big people and 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 the big rich blah 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 that's that's kind of how people are about it right now but the thing about that it initially started with taxes over fuel with rule rule people of France. I think that's a little telling, but now we're in this 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 heavy rev- revolution that that that's going on in France that that is in fact leaderless. Um taking a, a page out of Reason magazine, uh an article published on the 6th France's high taxes breed a populist revolt again. Quoting from this article, uh, quote, complicating matters and making the public anger more intractable is that the Yellow Vests seem to be truly grassroots and leaderless. Uh, nobody really has the authority to cut deals with the government, and the few self-appointed representatives who agreed to meet with officials pulled out after threats from other protesters. It's a protest in which protesters are protesting other protesters now. That's crazy. Uh, Continuing in the article, that leaves the government playing catch-up and hoping that suspending the planned fuel tax hike will be sufficient to calm the anger of the people who are now adding to their tax protest of a grab bag of complaints about unrelated free market reforms, particularly eased labor rules in a country that desperately needs a liberalized economy. That leaderless movement has also created an opening for existing extremist political leaders to try to step in and impose their imprint. Right-wing populist Marine Le Pen and leftist Jean-Luc Mélenchon have both encouraged the protest and called for elections to resolve the crisis and give themselves another shot at enhanced power. Five key points, five key takeaways from... Marcon, you know, from uh, Macron's big labor reform, by the way, and this is from Politico. Number one, more emphasis on in-house labor talks as opposed to sector-level discussions. Number two, a firm's global economic health can't be used to oppose plans to fire workers. Uh, number three, a set scale for damages in the event of wrongful dismissal. Number four, red tape slashed for firms with more than 50 employees. Five, changes to short-term job contracts, but not to long-term ones. 
reverting back to the Reason article, uh, just, you know, a lot of people, I don't know if people paid attention to the election that went on with France between uh, Marine Le Pen was in it um, as that right-wing populist kind of, uh, you know, person. Um, to the degree, I mean, you know, just, just listen to here, quote, Le Pen's role is especially unsurprising given that her father, Jean-Marie Le Pen, got his political start during the uh, tax revolt of the 1950s. Then, as now, anger at grabby politicians evolved into a wider-ranging populist movement driven by the resentment of presumptuous elites and their preferred policies. Led by Pierre Pujade, the movement began by ejecting tax collectors from shops and moved them to their anti-Americanism and protesting the loss of France's empire. As a further warning to Macron and company, Pujad's movement won 52 seats in the National Assembly. The youngest of the tax rebels to gain a seat was Jean-Marie Le Pen, who went on to found the National Front. His daughter, Marine Le Pen, faced Macron in a runoff the last presidential election, the one I was talking about earlier. France is also riddled with other taxes and, and all this other stuff. It's a, France is a weird country. Uh, when it comes to taxes and the amount that's there, and I mean, I, I think that I think that right now that the environment right now is very telling for that, uh, because it's a very volatile landscape that's going on in France, and and you have this big, massive group of people protesting that are even protesting each other. No leader. Um, it's not just over gas taxes anymore. It started as gas taxes. It started as rural, as as rural France, as rural people of France, rural citizens who had to drive long length, feeling that the tax was a negative uh, impact on them versus people in the city who who don't have to rely on transportation, self transportation that much, you know that 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 kind of thing, and it just makes me wonder, like you know. Part of that tax was a green movement. France is, is supposed to be allegedly championing this idea, the Paris Accords, you know, the Green Revolution, uh, the stripping away the dangers of, of fossil fuels and, and things of that nature. You know, turning to a greener society, more environmentally friendly, that type of thing. And leading the pack, you know, Donald Trump got a bunch of shit for pulling out of the Paris Accord, saying they wasn't going to sign it when all the other nations are sticking in with it. And, and, and honestly, in, in a move that should be looked at and criticized for the fact that it's disproportionate. It's disproportionate expectations on countries. Uh, because we were being asked uh, an arm and a leg, whereas China was being given, like, you know, free pass almost not having to, you know, deal with as much as we did with that Paris Accord climate deal. Uh, That that breaks into another interesting subject. And I got into this the other day with somebody on Twitter, too. Um, You know, everybody wants to say green energy is the way to go. We we, we should be completely... I've heard people say we should be completely on wind and solar power, which is a bit... 
That's a bold statement to make, that we should be on wind and solar power, just in terms of efficiency in our consumption. Uh, I want to I share with you something. Uh, from the U.S. Department of Energy. Okay. Workers required to produce the same amount of electric power. This this grid is a pretty interesting breakdown. Okay. So with coal power, 160,119 coal workers produced 1.24 billion megawatt hours. That is... 7,745 megawatt hours per worker. That's how it breaks down. Natural gas takes 362,118 natural gas workers to produce 1.38 billion megawatt hours. That's 3,812 megawatt hours per worker. Are you ready for solar? Are you ready for solar? Because here it is. It takes 373,807 solar workers producing 36.75 million megawatt hours. 98 megawatt hours per worker. That is, mind you, the natural gas, which was 300,000. Workers, 1.38 billion megawatt hours. Coal, at 160,000, 1.24 billion megawatt hours. Solar is extremely off of that. And I can tell you, as somebody who owns solar panels, well, maybe I shouldn't say own, but as somebody who got with a company, now I have solar panels on my roof and I do have solar power for my home. Number one, you're still connected to the grid that's using whatever the, the main power source hub is in your area. So if it's coal powered, you're still hooked up to the grid of the coal power. You're still hooked up to the grid of the natural gas. You're still hooked up to the nuclear power grid. Whatever source of power that it's coming from. Number one. Number two. On an individual scale, me having solar panels on my roof to power my home. That makes sense. It makes sense for me to be able to do it. And by the way, my system, because of the positioning of my roof and my house with the sunrise and the sunset only slated for a year to give me about 70% of my consumption needs only about 70% now a lot of my house a lot of stuff in my house is electric i do have an electric heating and air conditioning system the heating system sucks for it it's not very efficient uh however i've also had problems like floors in my house as i replace my floors and get insulation up, my house becomes better. But let me tell you this. In the summertime, when the sun is out and we have, you know, long days of sunlight, my system performs beautifully. It does. It can go 
150%. So it can go 50% above of what I need for consumption. Which is good. Anything extra goes into that grid and the power company has to credit me for it before I have to pay them for their power. That's awesome. But at best, it can overproduce maybe 50% a day. Maybe. That's not the average. I would say if, if on average during the summertime, I maybe overproduce by 15%. But 50 on a great day. Guess what it does in the wintertime? In the wintertime, I'm lucky if I scrape 20% of my daily need. Because of, A, the fact that we are, you know, the, the sun is in a different position in the sky. And the daylight hours are far shorter. So the direct amount of sunlight changes. Oh yeah, that's right, the, the earth is a globe and it spins. Or it's flat, depending on who you're talking to. But that's right. The, the 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 sun positioning changes with the season. So even if I got on top of my heating being inefficient, you're talking maybe I could scrape back another 10%, so it could be 30% of my daily needs, maybe 35% of my daily needs. But again, on an individual scale, that's fine. On a massive grid worldwide scale, in a neighborhood scale on a state scale, on a national scale, that doesn't pan out. That really does not pan out. Solar, on an individual basis, can be a frugal idea for a family home, maybe a business. But the other thing that people don't factor into either, how about the land use per energy source? Okay? Think about this. Land usage is stuff that's that's eating away at ecosystems and taking up lands and space and all that stuff, all right? Electricity source. Coal only needs 12.21 acres per megawatt produced. Natural gas only needs 12.41 acres per megawatt produced. Nuclear only needs 12.71 acres per megawatt produced. Solar needs 43.5. 50 acres per megawatt. Wind needs 70.64 acres. And hydro needs 315.22 acres. When we're talking about green energy and a cleaner planet, And people don't want to talk about sacrificing things like how they live their daily lives. I don't think you understand the numbers and how that works. I really don't. Solar panels on my roof, I love them. Summertime is great. If I owned them outright and owned every megawatt hour of power produced, I would sing the praises of this thing. To the moon. And I you know, and I do. Its performance has been pretty damn good. I'm not going to argue over that. But if it's only scraping 70% of my overall needs for a year, think about it on a wider scale. And you can see where the inefficiencies lie. 
maybe years from now, as things become less power-hungry and, and consumption and all that, maybe it's a different story. I don't know. But I can tell you right this. I can tell you this right now. People expecting to step on in like Thanos and snap your fingers and watch it all fade to dust as we go into a new green energy and this planet becomes hunky-dory and we're all happy-go-lucky and not polluting anymore. It's going to be a while. Just throwing it out there. It's going to be a while. Same thing with gas and cars. We could do the same thing looking over electric cars. Because people say, oh, electric cars. I'm not putting gas into the environment. I'm being a good person. Not really. You're not really because you're taking power from the grid somewhere else and it's the same pollution, if not worse. So there's that to consider as well. And uh, one wrap-up topic. We can go more into France later. I mean, uh, if I sit down and want to dive into it more, I will. Uh, But Time Magazine released uh, their person of the year. And before we dive into who they picked as person of the year, let me just say this. People confuse what Time Magazine's Person of the Year is for. They think that that's supposed to be just a a 100% positive highlight and that's who gets it. It's a distinguished award. Okay, Hitler was Time Magazine's Person of the Year at one point. Okay. Time Magazine has picked people as the Person of the Year because it's not necessarily good Person of the Year. It is literally just Spotlight of the Year biggest subject of the year okay now Donald Trump wasn't picked so there could be a slew on Twitter he he might be having a nervous breakdown he might start tweeting even earlier than 3am on the toilet I don't know they actually Time Magazine picked journalists as person of the year They uh, Jamal Khashoggi to be named as a columnist and and murdered Uh, Wallone and Kweso Reporters that were convicted. Uh, Marissa Ressa, an, an editor that was indicted. The Capital Gazette as the newspaper that was attacked. That was the newspaper that uh, suffered a mass shooting earlier this year. And they called it The Guardians and the War on Truth. And so the media spotlight picks the media as the person of the year. Now, Jamal Khashoggi, I can get, like, that's a nice honorable nod, and so so are some of the other cases. But, at the same token, I want to take it just with, like, a just a tad a grain of salt. That the media is obsessed with having themselves in the spotlight. I And that, that's something that I almost can't abide by. I'm not saying I disagree with some of the choices in there and some of the highlights of that, but to me, the media always wants the spotlight for itself. And not surprisingly, here they are in the spotlight again. So there is that. But Time Magazine just announced that if you had not heard or checked in. Uh, Time Magazine's Person of the Year is The Guardians, the, the war on truth. Donald Trump is uh, having a hard time finding a, a, what was it, a secretary? Not a secretary of the state, right? It was a chief of staff. That's what it was. 
Donald Trump is in search of a chief of staff. And I, I've decided, and I'm really surprised we haven't gone this route yet. I think I know the way that we can figure out and find the next chief of staff. In the beginning, there was Wright's Priebus. Then, there was John Kelly. But now, there is a prestigious opening on Donald Trump's cabinet. And it could be filled by you. Who wants to be a chief of staff? As always, guys, that has been FritzCast. I'm out, and I'll see you guys next week. You can follow me on Twitter at FritzQS, Facebook.com slash TheFritzCast, Minds.com slash TheFritzCast, YouTube, search FritzCast, and as always, FritzCastPodcast at gmail.com. All rights are reserved. Guys, love you, miss you, and I'll see you next week.